It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I want to believe the truth is out there, people. That's right. Today we're talking about aliens. Ooh, alien noises right here on Earth. Does that sound paradoxical? Well, maybe you should think about whether we're the aliens all along. Just kidding, that's stupid. We'll be looking for aliens on Earth from the bottom up. Aliens under the sea, on land, and in the skies. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, do animals really need to breathe? Spoilers, yes! For the love of God, don't hold your breath, but we will find that this answer isn't as universal as we thought. So. When you think of an alien, what comes to mind? Is it a gray, humanoid-shaped being with a big egg head and giant black eyes? Is it a little green Martian with antenna? Is it a grotesque, acid-spit-drooling, leathery monster? Our concepts of aliens vary widely and can range from being minimally imaginative, like aliens being blue humans, for example, to being wildly and nightmarishly fanciful, like H.R. Geiger's concept art for Ridley Scott's Alien. But you don't need to look to the stars for alien life forms. Here on Earth, we're constantly discovering new life, or discovering new startling truths about the creatures we've previously dismissed as being boring. Many of the strangest animal discoveries are found in our oceans. These extraterrestrials aren't very terrestrial, but they certainly are extra. Take for instance an unassuming harmless little blobular fish-eating parasite that has been found to have a shocking trait that has left researchers reeling. Joining me today to have some alien encounters is producer at iHeartMedia, Joelle Monique. Hey, Katie. I'm super excited to be here, especially after that intro. <laughs> I'm especially excited to have you because you are 
the new producer on my podcast, Creature yes. Feature, taking over for Anna Hosnia, who has been amazing. I love her. A but star in all of our yes, lives. Yes, but I am really excited to have you on board. So It's going to be fun. Yes. Uh, yes, I love especially these sort of uh, out of the world uh I don't I forget the word for like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster. Cryptids. Cryptids yes. are my favorite. I have friends who play a, a D&D cryptid <gasps> thing. So all of their characters are like handcrafted yes. and uh, all their stats are kind of made with the group and some die. And oh, just what fun. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm a fan of cryptids and D&D. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, the show, we take sort of a scientific perspective. So I'm not necessarily going to be speculating about X-Files aliens, but looking at real-life documented alien-like creatures that are here on Earth. This is going to be fun. It is going to be so fun. So first, I want to talk about parasites. Are, are you cool with parasites? Uh, actually, having one live in me? No. <laughs> are they cool, awesome beings that have made some great sci-fi horror creatures? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> so... There's a recent discovery of a parasite that actually does not need to breathe, which... Quoi? Yeah. Here's the thing. Every other animal on the planet has to breathe, as far as we know. There's no other animal we've ever discovered that doesn't breathe. So this is a parasite called H. salmonicola. Salmonicola. Salmon cola. It sounds like salmon cola. Like right. like you're gonna have a nice mm, salmon cola. <laughs> and it gross. is actually I mean, it is kind of a gross animal. So it parasitizes salmon and it doesn't necessarily hurt the salmon. And it's not harmful if we eat it. It's just kind of gross. It's also called tapioca disease because it they form little tapioca like cysts in the salmon's flesh. Ew. Yeah, kind of nasty, but not like when you think of all the really devious parasites that like mind control animals or kill them from the inside out. It's really pretty benign. Yeah, truly, truly. Other than being gross, just like <laughs> the tapioca disease. <laughs> I just think about getting a salmon and they don't catch that the parasite is in it <laughs> until it's too late. And yeah. Then you're like, yeah. oh my God, what has happened? What a refreshing salmonicola. So uh, it's a multicellular animal that looks like a sperm with a classic gray alien head. So let me show you oh my gosh, please. a picture of these guys. Okay, if I had to describe it, it please looks do. like the sperm trying to penetrate the egg that you <laughs> see in biology, yes, but it's yes. one living creature. Yeah, it's actually a bunch of these, I think, surrounding a salmon cell, and it is, they look, they have little, they look like they have little alien eyes, like if a sperm had an alien head, yeah, you know, the classic totally. gray alien head with the big black eyes, but it is, they aren't exactly sperm, <laughs> they are an animal. It's actually a cnidarian, which is a phylum of aquatic animals, which includes jellyfish, anemones, and coral. But this has kind of gone through a process of de-evolution oh. where it has simplified its body significantly, evolving into these little sperm-like alien creatures that are entirely dependent on salmon to survive. And those eyes are not actually eyes. They are former stinger cells like that jellyfish have. Whoa. But they don't actually use them for stinging anymore. They have been modified to be able to cling onto the salmon's tissue. So they use those to kind of grasp onto Wicked. tissue. Yeah, attach to it and then feed off of them. So 
Another thing that is <laughs> peculiar about H. salmonicola is that it seems to have lost its mitochondrial DNA, which is a big deal. How? <laughs> okay, so it used to have like a full like body, like I assume closer to a jellyfish? Yeah, cl- probably closer to a jellyfish. Uh, and it certainly used to have mitochondrial DNA, but now it's gone, which is hitherto unknown to happen in animals. What a creature. <laughs> yeah, so what that means, okay, I think I need to, it's very sort of like shrouded in this jargon, but like I, I need to emphasize how crazy it is because like all other known living animals have mitochondrial DNA. It is typically necessary for survival because the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, as we all learned in biology. And without that mitochondrial DNA, it means these the gosh darn things don't breathe. They don't have to breathe. So not only do they have like the basic cell of life, but also they don't inhale anything. Yeah. They don't. How are they still classified as animals? Like what makes them still fit into that category? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. Obvi- our classification of things can get a little muddled. Sure. But I think in terms of it being an animal, it definitely evolved from animals. And it still, I guess, needs ATP to survive. And we'll discuss how it gets it later. But it also reproduces and it has cellular structure that otherwise makes it an animal. But except for this thing, which seems like like a pretty big thing. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Let's talk about why the mitochondria is typically so important for animals to survive. So it is responsible for converting food into energy using oxygen to turn acetyl coenzyme A into adenosine triphosphate or ATP, which is the basic currency of energy for all living tissue. Now, that sounds like super complicated, but basically it's just you you eat food, it takes that food, it oxidizes these acids from the food into ATP, and then that ATP, when it's broken apart in your body, that produces energy. So like for your muscles to move, you're breaking apart ATP, and it's like releasing this this energy out. Like they're like little, little batteries, essentially. Okay. So... Oxygen to to oxidize the the proteins from the food into ATP, you need oxygen. <laughs> so that's why most animals need to breathe. And so in that chemical reaction that converts ATP or converts food into ATP is also known as the Krebs cycle, which everyone hates to learn about. Um, but no, I don't mean that. I do mean that actually. <laughs> Never mind. So so. All animals go through this Krebs cycle, except for these little freaks. (laughs) Do they have a cycle of their own? Well, researchers are exactly sure what's going on in these guys. So they sequenced the H. salmonicola DNA and found absolutely no mitochondrial DNA. They were shocked and did it again and still found none. And they were really confused. They looked at their closest relatives and their closest relatives did have mitochondrial DNA. And then they, you know, studied again and like it's they've concluded they just don't have it. They don't have a mitochondria. They have a mitochondria like structure, but it lacks the enzymes necessary for the Krebs cycle, which means, again, confirming that they don't breathe. So it's thought that these like mitochondria like structures are vestigial, which means it's like a a carryover from their previous uh, evolutionary forms. Okay. So like an example would be in humans, 
Well, it was once thought that the appendix was vestigial. Now it's thought that it does kind of maybe have some function. But yeah, like it's any kind of organ or something that is not is no longer necessary. While researchers aren't exactly sure how H. salmonicola gets its fuel, uh, there is a theory that they have a way of directly stealing ATP from their host salmon. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's just absorbing. It's making the fish are doing all the breathing for them, essentially. It's interesting to think of a parasite as leeching off of your mitochondrial like yeah. <laughs> basic cell structure yeah. again, as opposed to just eating chunks of flesh right we're growing like giant stems out of brains like whatever right. the parasite that invades ants is yeah uh it somehow more creepy and horrifying yeah. Yeah. because how could do you possibly defend from that <laughs> it gets gets like into your body in such an intimate way yeah not super <sighs> fun <laughs> and I think, I mean, other than these guys looking like alien sperm, <laughs> they are, it, it is an interesting thing, discovery, because it shows that potentially aliens in a very different environment from Earth, there are ways for them to survive and to convert energy in a different way than animals on Earth. So obviously, this guy isn't necessarily an example of an alien because it still needs an animal that goes through respiration, that breathes to survive. But, you know, it, it's hard to say, like, what the chemical structure of a another planet is. Yeah, totally. So, you know, perhaps there's a way of aliens on another planet to directly extract energy from some source on that planet that is different from how animals here extract energy Human from their sized parasitic beings huge sperm aliens is what i'm saying <laughs> flop it around sucking energy from the earth and they just all surround the planet like they're a bunch of sperm surrounding an egg it's leeching off yeah. of it i love it that's my vision of aliens what a horrifying <laughs> horrifying thought and yet more original than anything hollywood has come up with in so long You'd think that, I mean, like, there's all these sort of, like, weird metaphors. Like, I mentioned alien before, and there's a lot of, like, phallic stuff and, like, weird kind of, I guess, sexual metaphors with sure, aliens. Sure, sure, probing is a big yeah, one. Yeah, probing. Mm. I, I say skip all the all the middlemen there, all the metaphors. Just go straight and for just the go sperm. Go straight for the sperm, guys. <laughs> come on. Don't, there's, no need to, there's no need to be subtle. So another animal I want to talk about that it lives in the ocean that super looks like an alien uh, is actually an animal that looks like a jellyfish, okay. but is not related to jellyfish at all. What? So I think it's funny because like this H. salmonicola is actually the, the parasite we're talking to related to jellyfish looks nothing like a jellyfish. This guy looks like a jellyfish, not related to jellyfish. Hey, jellies, you have some explaining yeah. to do. Nature, could you just... I don't know. Like, why do you have to be so coy about things? <laughs> uh, so here, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just going to show you this picture before introducing it to you. It looks like if Rainbow Road were a jellyfish and it <laughs> swam. It's so beautiful. It's a rain. It's like one of those rainbow aliens in Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. You know, where they're like, oh, we've got a, it's like a spaceship. No, wait, it's a living creature. I and love it's like those a episodes. giant. Yeah. And so... Basically, it looks like a silky alien spaceship trailed by a long flowing veil of rainbows, and it is called the Blanket Octopus. And it is an octopus. What a magical name. So females grow up to be about six feet long, 
but males grow up to a little under an inch. So they're about the size of a walnut. Okay, first of all, a majestic species. Yes. <laughs> this is the Six true feminist. Feet long women. Love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, I mean, aside from them looking incredible, like a rainbow blanket following a spaceship, their mating process is crazy. So... To mate, the male detaches a special arm that holds his sperm packet. I'm sorry we're talking about sperm so much this episode. What am I going to say? It's it's nature, guys. So it's called a hectocotylus. hectocotylus. Uh, it presents this hectocotylus to the female, and the female keeps it in her mantle, which is like that sort of dome structure of the octopus, but it okay. just like has a empty space in its mantle that it like keeps it. These hectocotylus sperm packets in its It's like getting a diamond, but it's a bag full of sperm that you keep in your head. Exactly. It's exactly like that. (laughs) (laughs) And she will keep it there until she decides to make babies, at which point the female will pull the sperm packet out of her mantle and season her eggs with the sperm like it's a god dang salt shaker. Listen, a cookout. <laughs> I love it. So Tom Treganza, who is a biologist at the University of Exeter, describes it thusly, quote, when she comes to need to fertilize her eggs, she can pull that arm out and squirt the sperm <laughs> over her eggs like squirting soy sauce onto a fried egg. Science. Thanks, scientists, you weird horny boys. What? Just so he has a detachable arm. Yes. And then at the end of it, I just keep picturing it in human terms, and it's horrifying. It's like if a guy came up to you, gave you a little, like, ketchup packet of his sperm, and then, like, when you needed to make a baby, you just squirt it on your egg. This seems less messy emotionally. Yeah, it is a little more. It is, it, it is a little more just like, you know, like transactional I guess like here you go and she can actually keep several of these hectocotyluses in her mantle it's just her choice yeah yeah, it's like when when you keep going out for fast food and you get like these like packages of soy sauce or of ketchup and you're like well I don't want it now I've got too many you start storing them in your snack drawer and then you're like "Ooh, I, I need seasoning and you open your snack drawer and you've got like packages from McDonald's you got like all these other you know things from Chipotle and you're like oh I, I have all the packages I need except I, it's sperm I pictured it like a hot sauce sample packet <laughs> where it's just like eh, maybe Frank's today I guess that's whose kids are having this one why not so that titular blanket of the blanket octopus has a function other than looking absolutely gorgeous and it does and it certainly does it's iridescent here's another picture of it <gasps> Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Literally I, from every angle, she is stunning. I want a dress made out of this. I mean, not literally made out of the octopus. I would feel really guilty about that. But That would be sad. That would be sad. I, yeah, but I want a dress that looks like this. You know? <gasps> Tessa Thompson wore something like this. Really? Uh, yes. I will show you later for like some award show. And it's like a halter. Yeah. It's got like 70s sleeves. So they're cut from the shoulder to the wrist. And then oh they God. gather at the wrist, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Tessa Gorgeous. Thompson, Rainbow. secretly a blanket octopus. <laughs> so that blanket is actually webbing between their tentacles. And this webbing can be held out like a large veil, which makes them appear larger and more imposing to would-be predators. It, 
I see that. Yeah. I see that. Sometimes I dress to seem more <laughs> imposing when I have to walk in scary parts of Los yes. Angeles. Yeah. Well, like, you know, like nobody messes with people who wear capes. That's true, too. You know, yeah. It's like if you wear a cape, who's going to like accost you? Because mm-hmm. they're like, you're either really wealthy or you're a vampire. Either way, you know, if you're a countess or a vampire, you can royally screw someone if they mess with you, I think. I like to picture a very wealthy lady who would just stab you, but she's, she's got a cape. Like, you <laughs> just got to know what's under the cape. She's got a stiletto holding up her bun. <sighs> I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you hold up, the, they're like, when you want to, like, scare off a bear, you're supposed to, like, hold up your jacket, like, go I do. away, bear. Yeah, you make lots of noise. <laughs> This uh, blanket can also be detached as a last resort to distract a predator, sort of like how lizards detach their tails. Whoa. But it's sort of, it's like if finally, you know, the cape isn't working, so you like throw your cape off and you're like, watcha! And you like Hopefully throw it lands in, in their face. Yeah, exactly. And, and run get off. out of there. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm not done yet. They also <laughs> have another defensive technique. So they are immune to the venomous man of war, which is a jellyfish like hydrozoan with Ooh. potent venom that can cause severe pain in human and paralysis in fish. And the blanket octopus, because it's immune, can rip these tentacles off the man of war and uses them as defensive weapons. So they just. That's yes. so cool. Yes. they. Use, I love a bioweapon. I know. Especially now if you think about like the hooded rainbow and the way it sort of like flows in the water. And then on the side, there's like mm-hmm. all of these tentacles mm-hmm. and it's now dangerous, but yeah. also gorgeous. A symbol for all women. Yeah. I want I want blank like a blanket. I know that we have superheroes that are based on animals right totally you got spider-man wolverine hawkman's right there Hawkman. Yeah. you got you got the cat lady cat woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i want blake blanket octopus woman yes uh, blanket octopus lady i think yeah totally would be her name and she has her cape is this iridescent rainbowy uh thing that makes her look enormous and she can use to throw in People's like it wraps around enemies' faces and she definitely them. has a giant octopus in her lair. Yes, and she's her she's best friends with a giant blanket octopus, Yay. and she has like a big I'm, I want to say like a big flail that's made out of stinging jellyfish tentacles. She dates a giant squid, and together they attempt <laughs> to rule the ocean. Yes, and she lays a bunch of eggs and sprinkles it with sperm packets. Ew. <laughs> So my last underwater alien is the, it's got the best name of the bunch. It's called the Sarcastic Fringe Head, which looks like a predator mouth, you know, like from the movie Predator. Oh, really? Okay. So the Sarcastic Fringe Head is a small fish found in the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) They, they're sort of, God, these guys have the weirdest names. So they are... Um, a tube blenny, which, stay with me, it is part of the bliniform order of fish <laughs> who live in tube structures made by other organisms. So this order of fish, are this group of fish are called tube blennies, and the sarcastic fringe head is a species of tube blenny. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> I'm trying to think of organic tubes made by other species. So I like, think about a, say, like a, an animal that has a big twirly shell like a nautilus or something Mm -hmm. they'll live like in the nautilus shell or like a 
like a worm that that a tube worm that makes a big tube they'll live in that other structure so so okay. they they just borrow other structures from Got from it. other organisms that make these tubes so normally the sar- sarcastic french head looks pretty doofy they've got these big bubble eyes and weird just really weird cartoonish mouths oh wow okay so his like your jaw connects like right under your cheek but his extends past his cheek yes. it's weird yeah mostly his cheek is on top of his jaw and right. the whole lower part hinges open that's really cool yeah he's it's cute like <laughs> for being an ugly yeah. fish he's cute he is cute at this moment slightly <laughs> oh, no. less oh, cute no. open his when mouth. they're territorial <gasps> oh my god i'm yeah. seeing the predator now yeah it looks like a predator mouth oh that Frick, that's scary. So the reason their lips look so doofy and so long, like they they look like a big like cartoon fish with this yeah, like, big, like a big smile, almost, almost like a big clown smile totally. with these like big like cartoonish lips. But that's because those actually unfold into this terrifying predator mouth looking thing that it's almost like a mouth umbrella, I guess. That's a good description yeah. for it. But they distend their mouth, which unfurls these two flaps. And they actually use these uh, in territorial competition with other males. So of course they, they do. Deploy, Men. <laughs> they deploy the mouth umbrella and then they like kiss each other violently. Um. Like they push each other's mouth <laughs> flaps. So it looks like they're kissing, but they're actually like competing. And then it's a territorial display to determine who has the bigger mouth. And the one that is bigger, it's like, okay, this is how big you are. And that actually helps them resolve territory issues without resorting to actual violence. That is very creative of them. I love a nonviolent approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm shocked that with all of the, with scary terrifyingness of the mouth, that it isn't enacted for more violence it seems like it just seems like naturally <laughs> they'd so, be like, right? and then i swallowed half that guy yeah. whole yeah yeah you'd think so but no it's just it's like it's basically just sort of a i guess a, a sport thing where you know whoever's got the biggest flappiest mouth wins i know a lot of winners <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to see a video of yes. these guys? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. So, he's, so here he is he's, eating. He doesn't actually deploy his predator flaps when he's eating. He just kind of, you know, he's got his big, doofy mouth. He looks like a Muppet, He guys. does look like, like a Muppet. I that's maybe the best way. So, yeah. Yeah, he does look like a Muppet. And he's oh not the first. He's not going to be the first one today who looks like a Muppet. But then when when the tiny, competing. sharp little teeth. Look, here he is with his rival. Oh. Deploys the mouth flap. <laughs> It opens into a full triangle, which yeah, is like, crazy. Like a big triangular. Oh, tent. he's got you beat, bro. You got to back down. Yeah, you done, sir. And they got no. it's like kind of pink and yellow, too. It's actually if you ignore the fact that it's a horrible mouth, it's kind of pretty, I guess. It like looks a, like a venomous vagina. And it's yeah, 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 a little bit. <laughs> God, this is Freudian. <laughs> Males competing by their, with Jeez, their weird venomous vaginas. mouth vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's disgusting and it's beautiful, like life. That is that is life, isn't it? <laughs> yes. That's that's a good summary of life. <laughs> disgusting and beautiful. So, how would a planet host life? How likely are aliens? And what would they look like? It's hard to fathom what alien life would look like on another planet without knowing that planet's environment. 
Earth is considered a Goldilocks planet. It's not too far from the sun to be an ice planet, not too close to be a barren husk, and just the right size to have a solid, stable land and water mass. We're incredibly lucky to exist. But where else could life exist? Our solar system doesn't seem to hold much hope for another planet with alien life, but the moons of Jupiter are another matter. Europa is thought to have a subsurface ocean with oxygen and water, necessary ingredients for life. Encleatus, one of Saturn's moons, may also have liquid water and molecular hydrogen, which could be an alternative source of energy for life. If life exists on these planets, they may need to be extremophiles, organisms like bacteria that can survive in nutrient-sparse environments by clinging to thermal vents at the bottom of the ocean. Or perhaps, like the H. salmonicola, they've developed an alternative way of procuring energy that is unlike anything seen on Earth. When we return, we're going to emerge from the ocean and look at some aliens living right here on our very earthen terrain. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. It's easy enough to find aliens living under the sea, as it's such a different environment. What about extraterrestrials? While all us animals living on Earth may share our gravitationally bound earthly nature, our environments differ so much that it's easy to find completely alien-looking creatures right here on land. Consider the diverse biomes of the planet. The frigid tundra, the scorching desert, the grasslands full of dastardly carnivores, the forests full of devious parasites and hungry birds. It's hard to be an animal in any of these extreme environments, and the pressure to survive can create some truly unique looks. The ability to find a highly specialized evolutionary path is called an evolutionary niche. You have found a very specific environment and you've adapted to it. You have a very particular set of skills. Skills you have acquired over millions of years of evolution. So, Joel, I want to talk to you about a little critter called the pink fairy armadillo. It sounds horrifying. <laughs> the pink Do fairy armadillo? Do not take his child. Oh, because, because, because he's you're Liam Neeson. Yeah, yes. yes. Well, that's true. Uh, but these are actually... Now, I find them cute. Okay. I'm... That sounds like a caveat. Well, I find a lot of things cute. Uh, it does look a little bit like an armadillo that has been turned inside out. Oh, my God. Uh, so here's a picture of it. Oh, oh, but it is cute. It is cute. First of all, okay, it's color scheme. It's like a light pink sunset yes. with yes. like furry white and it kind of looks like a gopher but then mm -hmm. it has like okay is that a hard shell or is it fleshy what's going on with that top well, thing in between it's leathery but it's not it's not like bone hard it's just kind of leathery and then it also has these like duck cloth feet yeah. like sort of like probably what happened between a dinosaur and a chicken feet. yes yes it like big shovel feet wild big shovel chicken feet. i've never seen anything like yeah. this creature what <laughs> so they are the smallest species of armadillo, Aww. only about three to four inches long. Oh my yes, God. very cute. They live in Argentina. They're nocturnal. They live in burrows that and they eat insects, worms, snails, and plants. Okay. They, like you said, I love your description. That's going to be very useful for our <laughs> listeners to get it. It's hard. It's it's so hard to describe these animals because you look at it and it's like. It's just like got a pink cape made out of flesh. Yeah, <laughs> it looks soft and kind of squishy. Soft but... and squishy. So they have white furry bellies, huge shovel-like claws on the front for burrowing. And on top, they have pink plate mail that runs from the top of their nose down their back, covering their butt, back, head, and sides. Ooh. So similar to other armadillo species, this hardened leathery carapace is actually made out of bands that allow the armadillo to curl up in a ball and it's actually more flexible and softer than other armadillo species so unlike other armadillos the pink fairy armadillo their armor is not completely attached to its body but by a membrane that runs along its spine whoa so 
armadillos, that, that body covering, they actually have actual bone under that, that plate mail. Like, you know, I did not know this. But with the fair armadillo, while they do have a reinforced bony butt, uh, the rest of that armor is actually not uh, sort of covering bone. So uh, it's also sort of flatter than your typical armadillo. Like your typical armadillo has that sort of, I guess, dome-like armor. Uh, yeah. This kind of runs just along the back. It looks like a heavily starched cape, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this shell is made out of dermal scales. It is, it's a nice light pink. It's very pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like these bands, these bands of uh, of this armor, and it's pink, and. It, because it's less tough than their other relatives, researchers think it has a purpose beyond uh, protection. So it may be less about armor and more about thermoregulation, which sounds not sense-making. Right? I mean, so, so that would just mean like it's helping protect it from being too cold or helps insulate the heat. Yeah. Uh, I could see it. It does seem strange to me that it is like adjacent to an armadillo, but sort of seems to have none of the same basic functions. Yeah. This is the curvy, crazy path of evolution. <laughs> but yeah, it, it actually, so it can both help keep it cool and keep it warm in a way that is not very intuitive, but really cool. So it lives in the desert shrubland that can get very hot during the day and very cold at night, especially under those burrows. So the pink fairy armadillo's armor is pink because it's full of blood vessels. Oh, of course. Yeah, which sounds weird, but like when you blush, like that's your blood. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's there's nothing gross about it. It's a cute blush. So it and it can actually pump blood in and out of that carapace, which lowers or raises its core temperature to achieve thermoregulation, meaning like a, a temperature that is healthy for the animal. Internal so heating. Yeah, so by filling its armor with blood, it exposes the blood to greater surface area and air, cooling it down before it recirculates. And by restricting the flow of blood through the carapace, the blood remains in the armadillo's core, staying warm and concentrated. So we kind of do something similar as humans. Um, Like when you're cold, your nose and your fingers get numb the quickest because you are actually vasoconstriction, that you're blood vessels are uh, constricting and keeping all that blood in your center, which is the most important place for it to be. Because like you can lose a finger, but you know, your heart needs that that blood. Yeah. Luckily for the pink fairy armadillo, that carapace seems to do just fine with both increased or decreased blood flow acting as an AC heating unit for this little guy. It sounds uh, convenient, and I wish I could do it with my hair and or neck in the yeah. summer. Yeah. Like it's super hot out here in L.A. Yeah. And it would, it would just be great if I could just be like, we're yeah. going to send all the blood vessels to my hair and just cool yeah. the whole top of my head down. Like if I had like a pink, a cool pink jacket yes. that like was an AC unit and like could keep me warm, that would Attached be incredible. Your spine and fleshy. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It also has a kind of weird spoon-shaped tail that helps them balance as they dig. And they have that, like, armored butt plate, like this bony butt. And that helps them burrow as act, by acting as a dirt compactor. 
So as they dig, they toss the dirt under their bellies, and then they kind of push their butt against it, and it compacts the dirt behind them with their butt plate. So it helps get the dirt out of the way so they can, like, have an area to breathe in front of them, and it also helps stabilize the burrow. So the Museum of Science and Industry, they have um, basically, like, a lab where a bunch of, like, uh, subterranean creatures and or, like, there's a section for ducks – you can see the ducks, you can see, like, how do they develop from, like, egg to chicks, oh, nice. and they're all, like, under glass, and it's really cute. And for, like, some of the subterranean creatures, there's just holes carved out for, like, yeah. where they've, like, burrowed. I want to see this thing, like, dig and burrow. It's so tiny and small and cute. Let me get you. I think I actually I have. name him Franklin. <laughs> they are not good. I know you're not suggesting this, but oh, they no, are not. don't get it as a pet. But they are. I, I do want to make the point not. I, I, I'm not I'm not putting you on blast. No, I know. I, know. You, I feel you. I feel you. understand. You. But. I I do think that it is an interesting thing because they are sometimes like people attempt to keep them as pets and they go three to four inches. I have space. Yeah, exactly. It seems like it. They'd be a cute, fun pet. They have a abysmal survival rate in captivity. They're very delicate creatures, and like they have, like I talked about that evolutionary niche. They have evolved so specifically for this very highly specialized environment. Taking them out of that environment and like touching them. It's like it stresses them out. They can die of stress, essentially. And it also, they're they're not made for any other environment, essentially. They're so so specialized. So like like when people try to keep them as pets, they typically die. And in fact, they're actually really hard to observe by researchers because you can't like keep them in captivity and they're hard to spot. They're very elusive. So they are not great pets. And and you really, if you ever, I I mean, I don't think any of our listeners are probably going to happen upon one, (laughs) but if you do, you should not pick it up. Uh, Even though there is this picture of someone holding it, that is a researcher. Um, (laughs) It's so cute. It just fits in the palm of your hand. It looks like a real life Pokemon. It does. It does. I I need to do a whole episode on real life Pokemon. Please. But let me show you this. Here's a here's a little. It's kind of hard to see because it's night vision camera. But here it is digging, and you see oh the the butt God. plate kind of like poking, pushing the dirt back. Oof. You guys, you would think the butt plate, like oh, it's literally the tiniest little pat, and then it goes on to the next thing. <laughs> it's so dang cute, adorable little Franklin. <laughs> I'd sponsor one at a zoo. <laughs> we have adopted a koala. I wanted to adopt. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The koala's name is Oxley Twinkles, and she's my best daughter. Oxley. And <laughs> I actually have a dog too, uh, so I can't say she's my best daughter. I love both of my animal daughters. <laughs> she's the best daughter that doesn't live with you. <laughs> exactly, my best daughter abroad. <laughs> and I'm trying to adopt a, a velvet worm. Those are adorable little worm-like creatures, but they are hard to find an adoption agency that. Uh, has velvet worms. Actually, I'm I'm just if anyone knows about a um research group or something that that handles specifically hit us insect up. stuff. Yeah, we want to support your velvet worms. We will worms, support it. Okay? Yes, exactly. We'll write ballads to And I guess I want to adopt a pink fairy armadillo to also again not to have as a pet but just to, you know, sponsor. Also the magic like just I love a tiny Pin magical pals. creature. <laughs> I will send it little drawings of itself yeah. to hang. Yeah, and it's little tiny, tiny letters. Kennel? Burrow? <laughs> yeah, burrow. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So now I want to talk about another terrestrial alien-looking animal. And I'm moving from the mammals 
on to the insects. Okay. So, this is where we're getting, we're getting a little nervous. <laughs> a little bit. I would say don't be too nervous. Okay, okay. Of the insects, this they look completely wild and crazy. I don't think they look creepy. Okay, so, I trust you, Katie. <laughs> so I want to talk about tree hoppers. Tree hoppers are a family of insects related to cicadas and leaf hoppers, and they are found all over the world except except Antarctica, which okay. is too cold. That makes sense. <laughs> and they eat plant sap. So their mouth is basically two straws, one that pumps saliva into the plant, the other that sucks up the the plant saliva smoothie. Okay. And so they're pretty harmless. Other, I mean, they are actually kind of pests for farmers and for, for plant populations. And they can be bad if they're an invasive species. But in terms of like flesh creatures, we don't need to worry about so them. So in all of the terms that doesn't affect uh, plant growth, we're good. Yeah, exactly. And they're also here's I, I want to talk about some of their behavior first before I show you what they look like because I want you to see them for who they truly are. Okay. <laughs> so they're really good moms. Oh. They sit on their eggs unlike many many insect species. They drop them and go. Drop a lot of insects just drop them and go. But yeah, these these ones sit on their eggs and they defend them from predators and when the eggs are hatching into these nymphs, the moms will punch a bunch of holes into the plant stem so that the little baby tree hoppers have little little places to suck out the plants. It's like it's like your mom punching a straw into a Capri Sun and handing it to you. Thanks, mom. I was getting frustrated. <laughs> But in addition to being good parents, these are some of the weirdest Salvador Dali looking things on okay, the let's planet. See. Okay, so I'm just gonna show you some of these guys. <gasps> it's so funky. Is that a tail? What is the curved top part? I will explain all, but just describe what you're seeing. Okay, imagine like a backward C, <laughs> but like the letter C. And then it's like gunmetal gray, but there's some shiny like silver scales, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there is no face. It's got like a, a rhino horn that sort of looks like a jackknife <laughs> on top of what I assume is the head, and like two little feet and some things that could be wings, but are definitely not going to give him any like elevation <laughs> or lift. It is so weird. So that's just one species. Let's move on to another one. What? Okay, so this one. Has like yellow kind of bug eyes, which I mean it's a bug you'd expect that. But then like a split Pope's hat, like someone put a Pope's hat, and <laughs> to then me it looks like cut a, it just like a little bit. Looks kind of like a Batman hat too, except with really oh, okay. long ears. I, see, I also see a jester in there. Yeah, you a little know, jester with a little hat. Yeah, at the end it would definitely be jester esque. And here's, what do you think you're looking at here? That looks like a picture of a weird dragon with no wings. <laughs> So this is actually a bunch of them, and they are covering Whoa. a tree branch. And they oh, look, I see it now. Yeah. Oh, it gives me like weird goosebumps. Oh. They they look like thorns coming out of the they branch. Do. They're like these green thorny things Ew. with like. <laughs> and then here's one of them individually. This is they're less scary as one, but still not something I'd <laughs> I want to wake told, up and find on my. You told ceiling. me you have like a, a thing Ugh, about swarms, I so don't I try. Like I try to keep the the swarminess of this down. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's just like a it's like a green triangle, and then this one. <laughs> okay, this is like a regal black slug. Like it's <laughs> to me, it looks like a bird duty. 
it can also look like a bird duty. I'm seeing like a weird penguin for some reason. Here's why. It's got a white belly, but it's like all black back. Mm-hmm. But also it's got like hump in its back. It's confusing. It looks like a it looks like a poopy penguin. A I'll penguin made out of penguin. Poop. Okay. So uh, they come in a wide variety of shapes, as you can see, which is due to their huge fancy pronotum, which is the top part of their exoskeletal thorax. So if you think of it in human terms, it's like a hard shell right at the back of your neck that grows out really big. That would be so helpful. Yeah, except it's insects and they don't really have necks like vertebrates do. Uh, so I don't know how useful that comparison is. <laughs> is it Then does it rest just behind their head if they don't have Yeah, necks? yeah, it's okay. like their head and then it rests right behind its head and then it's like but it can grow like over and around their head. It's just, it goes wherever it wants to go, it seems. And these shells grow, or sorry, these exoskeletons grow in completely out of control ornate architectures, often to help camouflage the tree hopper as a thorn or part of a plant or bird duty or whatever. So the triangular part, that's its head? Yeah, well, it's, I wouldn't say it's its head. Again, it's like, it's like, so So they have an exoskeleton, right? right. That, that outer carapace. It's that exoskeleton, like right at the back of its head, just like growing way far out. Okay, I see. Yes. Wild. And so there is an incredible diversity of tree hoppers. They all look absolutely bonkers. And one of my favorites I haven't shown you yet, it is the Brazilian tree hopper, or sorry, did I call them grasshoppers? They're tree hoppers. And it's a tree hopper, I think. And so the Brazilian tree hopper has a head full of orbs. And here it is. Oh my God. It's like staring into the face of death. It's got four <laughs> eyes, but they're black and they sit on top of its head. And then its head is very narrow, like that guy on Beetlejuice when he shrunk his head. <laughs> and then like some white like graffiti over its mouth. It's literally horrifying. <laughs> I could see anamorphizing that and uh, making an alien for a movie yeah. so easily. It looks like, so it's like there's this stem that comes off of its head and then like almost like, a helicopter, but on the end of each blade is like a bulb. So there's like these four black bulbs. And those are actually not eyeballs. No? No, those are just like that offshoot of its carapace that's growing in this weird shape. It's covered in hair. And um, researchers aren't precisely sure why it looks like this. One theory is that since the orbs are covered in hairs, it's some sort of sensory apparatus, but then why it's shaped like one of those clacker right. ball toys, like it doesn't really make sense. But I like this theory, which is it looks like Ophiocordyceps, which is that parasitic fungus that you actually mentioned yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. So there's a parasitic fungus that will infect ants and other insects, and it'll just sprout out of their head uh, and produce like this uh, fruiting body that then produces spores and it kills the insect. It's no good for the insect. So insects generally want to avoid that yes. crap. And so if you have a fake spore growing out of your head, like this Brazilian tree hopper seems to maybe have, the idea is that insect predators are going to avoid it because they don't want to deal with that parasitic fungus at I mean, all. Eventually in the... In the documentaries I can remember watching with these ants and these parasites, don't they kind of get like left behind? They're yeah. like, yeah, the colony they... is like, oh no, you need to stay way outside here yeah. by yourself. And then it's awful because they're alive, like as it's growing yeah. and it like 
literally splits their brain in two from the inside yeah. out, and then it's just this long thing, and then it looks horrifying. Yeah, like, it's terrible. It it makes them go a little crazy because so what happens is in an ant colony. They will, when they detect a sign of this fungus, they will send out a party of ants on a suicide mission where they just walk the ant who is infected with this fungus far, far away so that it doesn't infect the rest of the colony. And that that insect with the fungus infection, usually the ones that carry it far away, they'll get infected too. But by that point, they're far enough away. They can't get back to their colony and infect it. Uh, And so they will, it drives them to climb up plants as high as they can go which is not typically their behavior because you don't want to be necessarily visible to birds and other predators but it drives them up and up and that helps the spores because then the spores want to uh well they don't want anything because they're a fungus but you know evolutionarily speaking it helps them disperse because they get up high up on a plant and they actually the ants that are infected with this it makes them uh go like grip onto the plant in this like death grip with their mandibles is like sort of the last phase of this weird fungus zombie infection. So it's super bad news for insects. And so if they see something that looks like it's infected with it, I'd imagine that they would probably avoid it. I like that they have um, police slash healthcare procedures. For these <laughs> They're like, listen, we don't have Medicaid yeah. or Medicare or nothing. You need to solve this on your own. <laughs> Get out so you don't become patient zero. Yeah, pull yourself up by your ant straps. (laughs) I'm imagining little boots on an ant. Little cowboy boots, so cute. I'm trying to think of a pun with Medicare for all, and it's just not coming. (laughs) No ways. Medicarepist for all. There it is. In science fiction, there are often insectoid aliens. But why didn't insects develop intelligence like mammals? One problem is that insects are restricted in size. While brain size isn't always directly correlated with intelligence, you do need at least some material to work with. And if you're an insect with only a few hundred thousand brain cells compared to a human brain that has almost 100 billion brain cells, you're at a distinct disadvantage. Unfortunately, the growth of insects became stunted hundreds of millions of years ago. Insects used to be huge around 300 million years ago. Dragonflies could grow up to two feet long in wingspan. The high oxygen levels in the atmosphere allowed the insects to get enough oxygen in their large bodies through their tiny breathing tubes. However, their stunted size wasn't only due to the drop in oxygen levels, it was also due to the appearance of birds! When birds came on the scene, fossil records of large insects suddenly plummeted, despite the fact that researchers estimate oxygen levels increased during this time. It's thought that these predatory flying beaked harbingers of death, birds, forced insects to value maneuverability over size the predation by birds driving them to become smaller and more discreet, adopting crypsis and camouflage like our treehopper friends. Maybe on an alien planet, rich with oxygen and lacking the menace of birds, insects could have grown larger and perhaps more intelligent. Now, the best strategy that insects have for intelligence is in numbers, be in ant colonies with small individual sizes, but large numbers of members may form a hive intelligence that helps their survival while not sacrificing their ability to dodge a predator, and of course, there's strength in numbers. 
Birds, meanwhile, are masters of the skies, and though they would come to have their fair share of predators, they were luckier than insects and were able to develop greater size, intelligence, and sometimes completely bonkers ornamentation, which we'll discuss right after this break. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.
In science fiction, we aren't always creative enough with aliens. There aren't that many flying aliens. Flying saucers, sure, but the idea of an alien with wings is perhaps a step too far for it to be the main trope when it comes to aliens. But I don't see why aliens wouldn't have wings. After all, it's a trait that evolved independently in many different animals on Earth. Insects, birds, bats, and even some gliding lizards, squirrels, and fish have wings. But birds have the biggest monopoly on the skies, and some of these avians are truly alien-looking, giving us a perspective on what flying extraterrestrials might look like. I always thought birds would make the best alien inspiration right? for movies because the thing is, if we look at like the aliens that have made it to movies, we're often looking at like either reptilian or right. humanoid, which is fair. Reptiles have like crazy jaws and like right. the claws and everything, things that we naturally fear. I'm terrified of birds. I had this conversation with <laughs> no. you last week. And they really, truly scare me. Yeah. I only like ravens because I respect them and I understand. <laughs> like they're like, listen, we can hold a grudge. Yeah, um, we are called a murder. Uh, they're just like they like they're very upfront about how horrifying they are. They're like they know they came from dinosaurs and they're not going to let you forget either. Uh, other birds are like, look at I'm adorable. I'm like, no, like one day you guys will like just dive bomb <laughs> from the sky and destroy. And then if you look at like some of the the patterns of colors on their wings or designs and stuff, some of the way their heads turn, owls truly alien. <laughs> Like, very creepy. I'm nervous about what you have for me, but also kind of excited. <laughs> I do agree that birds are very alien looking. It is going to be my mission while you are the producer of this podcast to convert you into a bird lover. Oh my God, a task. <laughs> my brother will be very happy if you can do it. <laughs> I am a huge, huge bird lover. Hashtag pro bird rights. But uh, it is, uh, yeah, I, I do agree though. They are. They are horrifying. Personally, I just love that. <laughs> I respect it. You, you, you respect all the creepy things. Yes. So first I want to talk to you about the king vulture. Oh my God. Have you ever seen a vulture like up close and in person in real life? I have seen them at zoos. I've never seen one just out and about. So I've been to the zoo again. I'm from Chicago. So mm -hmm. The zoos in Chicago will sometimes just let their birds wow. roam kind of free. <laughs> or they have in Lincoln Park Zoo, there's a giant bird cage mm. that's domed. So they have a, a aviary yeah. that you can walk through and the birds are kind of free and throwing around there. Or they've got these very like low swooping nets so they can travel. Yeah. Um, but when you get outside, then you're like, there's a giant, like, I want to say 12 foot tall bird wow. cage with a bunch of predatory birds oh, in it just looking down. So as a child, I was afraid of birds. Yeah. But we were going to hit every spot in the zoo because we were with a lot of kids. So I'll close my eyes. And all I hear is like the flapping of wings and screeching. And I was like, it's going to be fine. We just have to get outside. And they're like, Joelle, you've made it through the house of terror. And now you're just amongst the birds. And I looked up and huge vulture like you know getting wing air in its wings like mm -hmm. flapping yeah. and looking down at me yeah. and i was like i can't like it was really that and a peacock it cemented my fear of birds for life okay a giant peacock chasing you down when you're five so no so you would say a peacock combined with a vulture would not be your favorite animal no Bad but it news. would be an amazing alien. No! <laughs> no what so have you done the king vulture has a face <sighs> like a star trek alien it's a new world vulture found in central and south america oh my god excluding condors it's the largest new world vulture oh. with a wingspan of seven feet Oh my God. And while their bodies are pretty plain, white, black, and gray, their heads are sort of incredible. 
They, okay. So oh, I'm going to show you some pictures. Uh, oh my God, hold on so to your butt. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, imagine like, the beadiest turkey eye you've ever seen just staring at you. And then it's got like a gnarled thing on its beak. Oh, my freaking God. <gasps> no. <laughs> this is like the king of evil. But it's a it's like a it's like a sunset though. Its head looks like a it, rainbow sunset. Oh no! With its like all white body and black tipped wings, <laughs> I hate looking at it. Oh no! Well, I love it. This is my new nightmare fuel. <laughs> well, we have very different opinions on this bird, and that's okay. <laughs> Agree to disagree. So, their heads, like other vultures, are mostly bald. But in their case, their heads are vibrantly colorful and covered in weird doodads. So they have an orange and black beak and a bright orange wattle on the top of their beak that kind of looks like a shriveled brain. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, it's not a brain, it's just a fleshy growth. They have bright blue wrinkly bulbous cheeks with a wrinkled tube of flesh that goes from the cheekbone down the neck and turns from blue to orange and then yellow. Oh. Their eyes are bright turquoise, almost white, and their eyelids are reddish pink. Their necks are like a sunset. Purple melts into pink, which turns into orange, and finally gradiates into yellow. It's beautiful, Horrifying. in my opinion. Terrible. <laughs> their face is covered in thin black bristles, but under that peeking through is their skin, which is bright purple. And <laughs> on the very top of their heads, they have a bald spot, which is bright pink. The base of its neck is also bare, a pinkish purple, which often shows through its chest feathers, so it looks like it has this weird bulbous growth coming out. But that's just its neck. So <laughs> it is, yeah, it, it, it's an incredible animal. Of course, I understand why people fear vultures because they are associated with death and decay. Sure, but sure. they actually serve a very important ser service to nature. They take care of dead bodies and they prevent the spread of disease. And they're, they're kind of like a dead end for a lot of diseases, which they are able to uh, fight off or are immune to. And so when they're basically eating up a dead body, that prevents that body from being a petri dish full of nasty bacteria and diseases. The circle of life exactly. is so wild. But these are such like, they're so flamboyant. I, like usually like undertakers, you know, and, and vultures, they mm -hmm. have that sort of grim look. They're, they're, totally. they're, you know, they have like, they're brown and black. They have a hunched they're shoulders. hunched over. Yeah, and that long kind yeah. of neck is searching out. But these guys are festive. They're like the fun mortician, you know? Uh, they have a Dia de los Muertos of death holidays. <laughs> exactly, <as> yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're like a pastel goth, but they're not actually, they're like more of a, I guess, bright Mai Tai goth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Lolita goth, I think yeah. it is. And yeah, totally. Yeah, but like with these bright, like really brilliant colors, like they look like a tropical sunset with bright blues and reds and purples. The fact that their body is white is really throwing me too. They are truly yeah. the anti-vulture. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, exactly. I'm still not messing with them. <laughs> In terms of why they look this way, I'm actually not sure and I couldn't find any great research on it. it may, if it does exist out there, like hit me up. I'd love to hear about it. Um, my first thought is that maybe it's sexual selection but the females mm. are very similar looking. There's not a lot of sexual dimorphism, meaning like where in a lot of bird species, the male is like flamboyant and colorful yeah. and jazzy and the female is just brown and sort of like She's like, I'm doing the yeah, picking here, yeah, okay? Yeah, like, you perform for me. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like you 
impress me, not the other way around. I love it. Which I love. I love. Uh, in this case, it's sort of like gender parody. They're both. It could still be sexual selection, but like in puffins, where they're both trying to impress each other. Mm. Which I kind. I like that. Listen, a puffin is another bird I can chive with. So <laughs> puffins cute. are cool. Yes. So you're cool with puffins. They're just called puffins. <laughs> like they're puffy muffins, and they're so cute and sweet. They seem, you know, kind tempered. Yes. Well, yeah, they they are they're they're pretty cool. Not towards fish; they kill a lot of fish. That's but fair. Otherwise I also they... kill a lot. Of fish. <laughs> they're delicious. <laughs> Who could blame them? I the next bird I want to talk to you about is I hope you like this one a little better. It is the cock of the rock. Okay, first of all, a name A plus <laughs> A plus name. <laughs> so the cock of the rock is another South American bird, but this one lives in the cloud forests of the Andes. So they're a medium-sized tropical bird, and the male. Th- this is the one where the males are super fancy, and the females are kind of a like I don't know, normal looking um, bird. Cool. And so they, the males are. <laughs> bright orange and they look like some kind of weird disc-headed alien. So they have this orange crest of feathers covering the beak and top of its head that makes them look like their head is a disc or a frisbee. So here is what this guy looks like. Oh, oh, oh. You would not know you were looking at a bird if somebody right. showed this to you. You'd be like, is it an octopus underwater? Right. Is it a squid? Is it a one-eyed orange people eater? Yeah, it looks like it, it it looks super Muppet-like because, like, sort of one of those yeah. Jim Henson Muppets where they don't even have, like, real faces, I guess, where when it's just, like, an eye. When you look at it, you think he talks like Beaker. Like, yeah, like meow, 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 meow. and then also, <laughs> I forget what they're called, but they're, like, all one fuzzy colored things and they shake and it's from another children's program. If you saw it, guys, you oh, would the totally- Wiggles? Like, from yes, the Wiggles? Yes, totally. Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> This it doesn't even look like a bird. I love it. Here it looks oh, a little more oh, bird-like. Oh no! Close your mouth. I hate it now. <laughs> nope. I saw the whole thing and when now I'm horrified. When, once you see when it without the mouth, it's kind of cute. It looks like a weird little little tube muppet, yeah, muppet with a beak. It, yeah, it's a predator. Here's another another picture of it. Yeah, if it you keeps can... its mouth closed, we're okay. But even that picture is giving me a lot of side eye, and I don't appreciate a bird judging me like that. <laughs> So the males use this incredible look to attract females in fancy courtship displays. And the males will bob, do like push-up motions. They'll jerk their weird disc heads around. And if the female likes it, she'll peck his neck and they'll go off and mate. They'd fit in well at Venice Beach. <laughs> also fitting in well at Venice Beach, they the males form these cliques and oh defend goodness. their territory from outsider <gasps> males or predators Get together. Get them a skateboard or weights to lift yeah. and they are done. They, they are blow in. it up. Bro, <laughs> check out my frisbee head, bro. <laughs> oh my god! So I want to cap off the show with one of the most absurd Muppet alien-looking birds on the planet. I don't know if you'll be a fan of this one because they are—they go from being cute Muppets to looking like horrifying aliens, and that can be like the same bird can go from looking like. I'm a cute, derpy Muppet to being like, I am a horrible alien. Maybe I will name it my Patronus. <laughs> so first, let's just hear what it sounds like. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. So this is the Potu. It looks and sounds like a haunted alien ghost. So Potus are a group of birds, and there are multiple species. So we're going to listen to a couple different species. So this is the great Potu call. Oh, 
It sounds like it's screaming mom, but it's like been a deformed vocal cords or something. Like they they maybe I don't know. Oh no. Mom. Yeah, yeah. Marchino's mom. (laughs) Oh my goodness. The stuff of nightmares. Here's another great Potu call. Oh no. Ah, you do that too well. Too well. Yes, I'm a human and not <laughs> It's like the it's like the body snatcher sounds like totally at the end of body snatchers. And then here's its song. That's just its call. Its song is a little less body snatcher, but it's very haunting. Okay. This is the this is the common potu. LNS catalog number. That's not the common po- No, that's some guy from the Cornell lab. <laughs> Science. It sounds sad. Okay, maybe it's misunderstood. It's like (laughs) trying to say hey, and people are like, you sound horrifying. It's like, well, maybe that's singing, and we can be friends, and they're like, we still don't like you. I don't know what it looks like yet. Very emo, yeah. So the potus, like I said, are a group of birds who have a very distinctive look. And this time, it's actually for survival and not sexual selection. So surviving predators and being able to hunt. So they are also found in Central and South America. They're related to night jars and frog mouths, and they are nocturnal insectivores. And I'm just going to, before I describe them, I'm just going to show you some pictures. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, so imagine... A soulless owl with a neck, <laughs> and this is what you get. You guys, there's we don't a have soulless teeth, owl with a neck. Beaks are open, and they have eyes are entirely black. <gasps> Here's another one. Oh my god, this is lit. Oh no, no, that's not no. cute at all. Look Katie, at that no. one. I think no. it's a little, look at, but look at his face. It's okay, it does kind of look like one of the puppies here. Yeah, what it is because it's got really round eyes, and so you know our human brains are like that <laughs> means cute and innocent. But I'm also seeing death in those <laughs> eyes, and I don't trust it. So <laughs> what Joel is seeing is the Potu, who has huge wall-eyed bulging eyes. They kind of look like goldfish eyes. Those pupils can go from being small points to expanding to cover the entire iris. That's what I saw with the all black eyes. Okay, that explains it. They have huge wide mouths and they are a tawny brown with mottled coloring, a bit like owl's feathers. And they are one of the derpiest looking birds on the planet, in my opinion. They they can be, they range from being, to me, terrifying to being adorably stupid cute. Sort of like, you know, how like pugs or like, or oh, you know, like, um, ah. Like a bulldog? A bulldog has that range. Like the, the porgs in, in Star Wars where they have those like little wall-eyed looks. <laughs> yeah. And the weird, yeah. They do have, a, okay, you know what? That's probably the best sci-fi yeah. interpretation yeah. of it. Yeah, totally. So the reason their eyes are so huge is that it helps them see at night. 
And they actually also have eyelids that are slitted, so they have slits in that allow some light in so they can see predators even when their eyes are closed. So they are always watching you. (laughs) Their mouth is large enough for them to swallow prey whole without bothering to chew it up. I saw that. (laughs) I definitely see them being able to do that. In fact, and I know I'm trying to be like the advocate for the potus, (laughs) but one potu was found with a small bird in its stomach. So uh, yeah, that big mouth can get a lot done uh i think they most commonly eat insects though i think it's unusual for them could have even been an accident you know just he was yawning and a bird flew in look we don't know i'm saying he has a right to an attorney he's innocent until proven (laughs) guilty so they have an unusual crypsis tactic which is to do a little acting a little method acting where they pretend to be a tree stump and they will stand rigid still and and just very, very stationary, stretch their heads out. And the tops of their heads are kind of flat. So it actually gives this very realistic impression of a tree stump and like a, a branch that's been broken off because that that feathering color, that sort of pretty like mottled uh, brown and white is like is actually meant to look like tree bark. I can and, see that. Yeah. So here's a here's a picture of one of these guys in action. Okay. Oh wow. The way that his back sort of looks hollowed out even. Yeah, yeah like the black this is on his really wing. Really good camouflage. Yeah, you probably wouldn't know this was a bird except that his eye is open. Yeah. And then here's another instance of it kind of just Oh, oh, yeah. oh. They sort they flatten their feathers and stretch out so they look thin and branch like. They definitely mold to the tree that yeah. they're on. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that animals would just cozy up to. They'd be like, oh, yeah. this is kind of warm for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an animal too dumb to think that through. <laughs> God, it would suck if a woodpecker like was like came up to them right. and was like, oh, this looks like a branch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they'll only lay one egg at a time and they <laughs> their old method of laying eggs seems completely stupid but they will lay a single egg on top of a tree stump just kind of balanced up there um and it looks very precarious just like boop there it goes uh what where's the nest how are boop, you being warm no and protected oh no, no. Nest. so it actually looks is meant to kind of look like a fungal bulb. So sometimes trees will sort of grow like a a fungus on it that looks like a bit like a bulb. And it just kind of (laughs) precariously uh, sits on this tree stump. And the nestlings, once they hatch, are too small to look like tree stumps, but their coloration makes them look like tree fungus a little bit. So let me show you one. I think the babies are cute, but you might think they're a little horrible. So here's a little baby. Okay. He's not horrible. <laughs> there's another one. Oh, that one's really cute. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, here's another adult looking Whoa. very much like a tree. You get part of a tree. That's a master camouflager. Yeah. He knows yeah. exactly what he's, he's doing. He's like, it's incredible because he's flattened the feathers like against the tree. It The coloring of the feathers perfectly blends in with that mottled tree. I, I literally can barely tell where the tree ends and the yeah. bird starts. It's it's incredible. But yeah, that is, that is the story of the Potu who has one of the most haunting calls. And to me, ranging from adorable to completely insane possessed alien look. Listen, if that fish from segment one with the big mouth meets this Poe too, it's on. Okay, real champions. Mouth contest.
I can yawn really so dirty. I can like yawn really wide. Like my I have like bad jaw problems because I get like TMJ and stuff. And one of the problems I think is I yawn too wide. And oh it's my like, goodness. do you want to see how you want to yeah? see? How? <laughs> Katie! Oh my god. I thought I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just opened my mouth yeah. and she was like, no, I can extend this. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I could swallow one of these birds. <laughs> Well, uh, before we go, I do want to do a bit of self-promotion. Uh, well, show promotion. Uh, shirts. We have shirts. Beautiful, Beautiful stunning shirts. shirts. Uh, so I, we have actually had a few shirts, um, but I wanted to wait to promote shirts until I got the Creature Feature logo shirt where I wanted it to be. And uh, it is a shirt with the Creature Feature logo that has been hand-drawn by yours truly, moi. She did a fabulous <laughs> job. I'm not even um, just saying that as the producer of this show. They look <laughs> real good. She's just saying it because she's no, the producer of this show. I am not. <laughs> they are up in the store. I will include a link to it in the show notes, but uh, if you want to just tap it in with your finger things, it is www.tpublic.com slash stores slash creature feature. And uh, it, I am wearing the shirt right now. It is, it's got creature feature on it and it's got our lizard man and our cat lady on it. And um, uh, I do believe the shirts will be on sale for only 14 bucks if you hurry. What a deal. What a deal, right? Uh, yeah, so those will be online, and there's a few other designs there, so please do check those out. Uh, Joel, do you got anything to plug? Uh, no, but I'm a writer at AV Club and the Hollywood Reporter and a bunch of other places, so if you're interested in culture entertainment news, you can always come check me out over at Joel Monique. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E at Twitter. Joel Monique, all one word on the tweeters and you can find us on the twitters at creature feet pod that's f-e-a-t not f-e-e-t totally different (laughs) uh you can also find us on instagram at creature feature pod facebook at creature feature pod online on the iHeartRadio website iHeartRadio.com and just search for Creature Feature and you can find me personally just Katie and her Katie thoughts at Katie Golden on Twitter and you can find you know the bird version of me my bird Sona (laughs) at Pro Bird Rights where I fight for the rights of birds and Joelle I hope that I can convert you. It's going to be an interesting journey and I look forward uh, to getting to know more birds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to bird vangelize. The... Bird vangelize? Bird vangelize. Yeah. Oh, I don't see my deep-seated, irrational fear changing. I don't know. But, but I, I wish you luck. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me, Katie. This is awesome. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, subscribe, like it. The stars, put all the stars on. And I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so, so much for listening. Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super alien song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. To listen to more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit iHeartRadio.com, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. I can't wait. Hang on. <laughs> No, that's not the alien. I'm not. I'm it's to pretty close. Cool. It feels right. Like Zoe to me. <laughs> Great.
A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.